this book out of Luton Library. Quite, you could say by chance, I don't quite believe in chance, by providence. It's called 100 Poems to See You Through. It's a nice little book. It's a charity book. Um, apparently, there are some places around the country called Maggie's, which are in hospitals. And they're there to provide um, respite and areas to go to for people who are suffering from cancer and for their relatives and others. It's all about support. And the lady who uh, put together this book, Daisy Goodwin, her mother died of cancer and she really found these guys were helpful so she wrote this book and compiled poems because she wanted to do something for them. And it's worth reading one or two of the things that she mentions about this because she said there are poems here to chime with every stage of illness, recovery, hope and despair, life and death. Poets who've had cancer or other dread diseases have written with astonishing candour about all the wrinkles of their sojourn in the veil of ill health, whether it's hair loss, MRI scans and so forth. Some of them should be read silently, but there are many that should be demanded to be read out loud. One of the things that people living with cancer and other serious conditions stress is the wisdom that comes from dealing with life-threatening illnesses. Some of these are sections on small pleasures and how to carry on, dealing with the insights of how to become, how that come of being ill and the change in values the experience can bring about. There's a, there's a hymn to hard-won joys of living in the present and there are poems that show the experience that was gained that they wouldn't have had if they hadn't had this experience. No one faces illness or tragedy in the same way. Some readers may feel they need the spine-stiffening resolve of a poem like Invictus. Others will find more relief in the quiet acceptance of Wild Geese, another poem. Reading aloud may work for you on many levels. There's no better way to get under the skin of a poem. And they work on many levels. There's the ostensible meaning, and then that's that combination, that rhythm of what they are. It doesn't matter necessarily if you don't understand every nuance, because later the meaning unfurls, and these poems are written to see you through. Well, there you go. Great book. However, I've got 150 poems that see you through, and these cover everything in that book, and then they cover everything else, including what happens after death, because they too allow you to explore the contours of your feelings. Sometimes you can't explain something in mathematical formula and so forth, and I teach math, so I know you can't, but you find a poem helps you to get it, a, a, a couplet of lines helps you to sort of dig into what, what you mean. And the proverbs and the poems in the Bible are amazing for showing you things. They're incredibly frank. You get people who are near despair. You get people in the heights of joy and you sometimes find people going from one through the other as God changes them in their situation. As you follow them through, they are incredibly honest. They are incredibly clear. The poem we read at the beginning, Psalm 1, tells you that if you are going through storms of life, but your roots are deep in the love of God and in the word of God. You are like a tree that can withstand a storm. And that is true. It is not true of the wicked who think they've got everything, but who can be cast away like that in a moment. 
Having said that, this psalm, the one I'm going to look at today, has a phrase in it that I had quoted to me back in the 1980s, and only last year did I twig that the person concerned had it out of context. This is the phrase. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Total despair. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You look around and you think, everyone laughed when I talked about Theresa May this morning because they don't trust their politicians anymore. They don't know who's thinking what. what you know, it's, it's just like a farce or whatever. You, you think about media, social media, and you think, well, where did the lies come from? They're everywhere. You think about the way that people behave in society or the knife crime or this. You could make a huge list and then you could just say, like this person says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's a great way to start a sermon, isn't it? The thing is, let's read the beginning of the psalm again. And this is what it says. It says, in the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say that? In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say if the foundations are destroyed? In fact, he says it, he, say, he, he deals with three things, doesn't he? He says, look, I take refuge in the Lord. How can you say to my soul to run away to the mountain? I'm already in the fortress. I take refuge in the Lord. How can you say the wicked, they're sneaking up, they're bending their bows, they're trying to get at you. It's the arrows of the lies or the deceit or the, the people that want to undermine you because they don't like what you are. And, you know, that feeds your paranoia. You know there are people out trying to try and get you. Now, I'm not paranoid. I know they're out to get me, as they used to say. And then you have this third one. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, the simple answer is don't stand on those foundations because that's not where you should be. You should be in the fortress. You should be taking refuge in the Lord. So let me just analyse this poem with you for a few moments, and then I'll focus in on some points. But you'll find that I'm going to look at a fortress, I'm going to look at a throne, and I'm going to look at a future. A fortress, a throne, and a future. You'll see those three things coming out. This is what David says. We don't know if he's kind of talking to himself here. Sometimes I don't know if you do this, but... You, you get in a position where you start, you, you find a thought comes in and you really have to surface the thought, look at it and then deal with it and then say, if necessary, to yourself, how can you say that? You know, and because you've got to remember, you know, but the Lord's good, you know, just, he's not out to get me. He isn't punishing me or whatever. You have to look at things and get yourself straight. Sometimes you have to tell yourself things and poems help you to do that, by the way. In the Lord, I take refuge, says David. He also says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord sees. And he also says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. A fortress, in the Lord I take refuge. A throne... The Lord is on his throne and a future. We will see him face to face. They're the three main points that you take from this. But in the context, he's obviously struggling with possible despair, concerns, worries. And although we don't know what they are, 
at times we know David went through some really tough times. There was a point when he was on a mountain, and so was Saul. And Saul at that point was the king, and he wanted David dead, and they were doing this. Okay? There's another point when he's hiding at the back of a cave, and Saul comes to relieve himself at the front of the cave, you know, and, and he, he came that close several times. And you could imagine people saying to him, why don't you just run to the hills? Why don't you just get out of here before it's too late? But he didn't. And the reason he didn't was because he was taking refuge in the Lord. So let's have a look at this in a little bit more detail. First of all, this psalm tells us where to put our faith. You put your faith in God. You do that by seeking refuge in him, by calling out to him, even sometimes when you think it's hopeless. I don't know if you, you remember Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was facing amazing odds, and his prayer said, we don't know what to do, but we look to you, Lord. And there was a great victory. But you put your faith in God through Jesus. You see, we're saved by faith in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven when we turn to him. If you were here just a few minutes ago, we were celebrating the Lord's death. The instruction is to celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. Why do we celebrate his death? Because his death has brought us life. We turn to him. Jesus is in the same throne room as God, interceding for us. Of course, David didn't know that. David knew that the judge of all the earth was still enthroned, but he didn't know of the sacrifice of Jesus, our great high priest. You know, there are times when we work really, really hard, and we find ourselves in a situation that we still cannot control. And we're very tempted at that point to look around and say, well, the unrighteous are winning. I haven't seen what I hope to see. Perhaps it's time to flee. No. It is time to take refuge in the Lord and call upon his name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Look, do you remember the disciples in Mark chapter 4? Do you remember the disciples in Mark chapter 4? What did they do? Well, this is what they did. They were crossing a lake. And they were sailors. They knew what to do. But unfortunately, a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him. And they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind. If you actually read, um, a commentary pointed out that the way he rebukes the wind and the waves is kind of down boy. It really is kind of, you know, it's like mum turns up and the boys immediately straighten up. You know. That's judgment, isn't it? Um, but it was an authority. He says, peace, be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now have a think about it for a moment. 
he's almost saying, why did you say that? What's the problem? Because he was in control the whole time. They just hadn't recognised him. I take refuge in the Lord. How can you say, run away? How can you say panic? And by the way, if anybody around you is panicking, don't join them, otherwise there isn't going to be anybody to do anything sensible. You know, um, so I, I, I did hear of a case of somebody saying, but you know, why aren't you upset? We were both upset, nothing's going to happen, we're not going to solve this. It is true, but the good news is that the Lord is in control. You actually don't need a panic, do you? Totally different situation. Now, of course, what happened with the disciples was that made them even more afraid at one level, a kind of awe, and they say, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. This psalm deals with people who, like those disciples in the boat, are looking around at the wind and the waves of our lives and going, I'm not sure if I can take this. I'm not sure if I can solve this. And I've got some news for you. You can't without God. But I've got some other news for you. You can take refuge in him. What were the three things? The three counsels of despair? Well, first of all, it just said run away, didn't it? There's that sense of danger. It's, an almost, it's almost an unknown danger, isn't it? You, you, small children are worried about the darkness under their bed. Yeah? Sometimes, you know. And, and if they shine a light, they're fine, but they just worry that something's going to come under their bed. Maybe there's something under there. If I'm safe under my duvet, there's no problem. I don't want to stick my feet out in cell, someone grabs it. That kind of thing. You know. Now, when you grow up, you should grow out of that, but you grow out of it because of experience, because it hasn't happened and so forth. But all, all you have to tell yourself, no, it's not true. And, and mum comes in, turns on the light, and says, look, there's nothing here, it's not a problem, you know. And that shadow turns out to just be where you hung up your coat in a different place or whatever. But in a sense, you can become scared of something that you don't understand. So that's a possibility. But the second possibility is that, that it is true that the wicked... And let's be clear, the wicked is anybody that hasn't turned to Jesus, may well be against you. They may well not like the fact that you do certain things honestly because they want to be dishonest, and how can they be if you're like that? They may not be too keen on the fact that you don't swear, so they feel uncomfortable when they do. There are lots of ways in which we, without realising it, as our lives change, as we turn to the Lord, as we change our priorities can make people who don't know the Lord feel uncomfortable. And, and in many cases, that is a good thing, because the fact that they feel uncomfortable is one of the things that makes them start to ask the questions they need to ask in order to go to the point where they realise they need Jesus as well. So don't be afraid of that, and don't be afraid to stand your ground. There's a wisdom involved in this, as you know. We, we speak gently to people. We don't bash them with our Bibles and so forth. But we can often give them something that makes them want to ask us another question. Uh, a friend of my wife at work had had several conversations with her and said, I really don't want to talk about Jesus with you anymore. You know, that's it. I'm uh, fine. She said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do with it. I won't talk about this subject unless you ask me questions. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Okay. So, of course, they're, they're, they're at a, a, 
a camp, actually, because of my, my wife has scouting connections and so forth. And this lady starts to ask her a couple of questions. She says, now you do realize you're asking me questions here. Yeah, that's okay, I understand. So therefore she then asks the questions and then she starts to, uh, there was 18 months to two years, I think, between the two. I don't, I'd have to ask Teresa, but she's not here. So that can happen. But that person has seen that you're showing them respect and that you're waiting for the right time. And that time that did come from the Lord. And that, that lady is a Christian, she's married to a Christian, and so forth. So it, 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 it does happen. But the fear is that somebody's going to take away my position. The fear is that somebody's going to undermine me, or I'm going to miss that promotion, or something else is going to go on, because somebody's going to be saying things about me, oh, you don't want, you know, he's a bit of a whatever. And it could be the case. It could be the case. But that's the wrong perspective, because what does promotion in whichever organization you're in gain you? It gains you status with men and women, obviously, but it doesn't gain you necessarily anything else. There are times when the Lord raises people up to high positions because they have a role. There are other times when we are kept low and we just work under the radar and we're there for a reason. There are people who have been thrown into jail for being Christians, locked up. One such man in Russia before the Iron Curtain fell had been in jail for a very long while and during this time in jail had had incredible experiences of, of talking to other prisoners about the Lord and at one point, he got very down. And he said, I don't know why I'm here. And the prisoners and the prison guard said to him, but we do. You're here to tell us about Jesus. Now, the danger is taking on the world's perspective and going, well, I'm not going to be able to afford that bigger car because of these wicked people's arrows or whatever. That's irrelevant. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, stay in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground, apart from your father. I'll come back to that passage in a moment. You don't need to flee. You can stand on the rock. You don't need to be worried of the wicked, because actually if you're in a fortress, most of the arrows are going to bounce off anyways, unless you're silly enough to lean over the parapet. Okay, it's not a good move, you know. That's why they had helmets. Um, and the darkness, yeah, okay, we don't know what they're doing. But don't worry about that, because I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Now, as for the foundations, are you surprised that a godless society is struggling to understand why its young people are stabbing each other? Are you surprised to find a godless society where people are saying right is wrong and are, ch are, are, are challenging people? I mean, at the moment, there's a brilliant argument going on between feminists and people who believe in transgenderism. 
because you've got this problem with the sports, haven't you? I think Sharon Davis has just come out and said, it's not fair to have a man swimming as a woman because then that just gives him an unfair advantage and all this kind of stuff. They're, they're, their systems don't work. The, the logic is not there. People are confused. And they're so confused that they're now disbelieving true science as well as the more fake science that, that, that might be out there. They just don't know what to think. The foundations of our society, the moral foundations, may well be crumbling. But do you remember when Jesus came? When he looked at Jerusalem and he said they're all lost sheep? Do you remember how he had compassion on them because they, they were ignorant? Do you remember what Paul said when he said that we were all sinners, lost and without God in the world? Nothing much has changed. If your foundation is GBPLC, or your foundation is your company, or your foundation is whatever, you're in the wrong place. Because your foundation has to be built on Jesus. You have to go back to being like that tree planted by the water, putting its roots down deep. And there's another biological picture in the Bible. Jesus is the true vine, and we must be plugged into that life source. Where is your rock? Is the Lord your fortress? Or is your trust in something that will fail you? And praise God, sometimes when we do put our trust in the wrong things, he takes them away so that we realize and we turn back to him. But that sense of panic comes from one big thing that we think. And that is that God only looks at us from a distance. I remember that there was a song back in the 80s as well, which was from a distance, it all looks wonderful, and God looks at us from a distance, right? Nice tune, rubbish idea. Because God doesn't just look at us from a distance. God knows exactly what's going on. In fact, God sent his son to live amongst us and has now sent his spirit amongst us. He is intimately involved in his world. But David's poem puts it like this. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is established in heaven. Don't worry about those foundations. I'm looking to the Lord, and the Lord is in heaven. And he's not looking the other way. He's not forgotten us. He's not busy at the moment, but he might be back later. We don't need to yell, hey, look, why don't you care about us? Like the disciples panic in the boat. The Lord is in his temple. Now he sees. God is in control. He's not distant. And this is what Paul puts it as he tries to explain to a bunch of best agnostics, but probably pagans, if we're honest, in in a Greek city, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. And this is what Jesus said. I read this a few minutes ago. It's from Matthew 10. Have no fear of them because nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Not one of them will fall from the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. For some of us, the number is decreasing, but they're still numbered. Fear not, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me, that's Jesus, before men, I will acknowledge before the Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. Did you notice that what he's saying is nothing happens apart from God's knowledge and God's control? This is what David says. His eyes see, his eyelids test. You know it said in that book over there, you don't have to understand everything. I'm not quite sure about the eyelids bit. What he's saying is he, he, he takes a look at you. Maybe there's a raised eyebrow as he thinks about what you're like because he sees the heart. But this is what it says. The Lord tests the righteous. When we're tested by God, he is refining us. He is working on us. No test comes upon you except what is common to man. And he will allow you to stand up under it. As he does so, he will often change you in the situation. Tests are about searching our hearts. Tests are about making us trust him more. That test the disciples went through on the boat, by the end of it, they knew he was the Lord of the waves and the wind. That blew their minds. But if they hadn't been in that test, if we'd said, oh, by the way, guys, if I wanted to, I could just tell the wind to sh they wouldn't have believed him. They had to go through it and experience it. When you learn from experience, whatever happens, some of the experiences have to be yours. You learn from your own experience, and the Lord helps you to look back and see what he's done. It's often better to try and learn from somebody else's experience so you don't have to go through it, but there will be times when you have to. Look, the other picture that's in Matthew is of a battlefield. We are in a situation where we live in a world that ran away from God, that rejected him, said, we don't want you, we want this other stuff. And God's judgment would say, yeah, have it. You're not going to like the results. But that's what he did. And then he sent Jesus to turn a people back to himself. And we are now that people if we believe in Jesus. And the other people around us may not like it very much. Because they don't like it very much, they and the enemy who manipulates them, you ask the question, where do all these lies come from? Well, ultimately, they come from the father of lies. But that enemy who manipulates them, yeah, is firing arrows. But we have a shield of faith. He's firing arrows. He's fighting against the truth. But the truth will win. And what Jesus is saying is don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Because not only does God test the righteous, but his soul hates wickedness. And what he does there is he judges. <clears throat> so we must stay faithful to the Lord in heaven. We must stay faithful and be willing to serve him. But judgment is for the wicked. If you do not turn 
to the Lord Jesus, you are numbered among the wicked. So we do see the problem of wickedness. We do see the fact that people who don't know the Lord sometimes get very angry with us for just wanting to do what's right. But one of the lies that is fired at us is this one. We cannot be accepted by God. Because this, this last part of the psalm, the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. The enemy says, but, but you're not. Because I've got this on you, or I've got this on you, or I've got this on you. Do you remember um, Martin Luther and the story of him being one night in his bed and the devil came? And he started to write on the walls all the things that Martin Luther had done wrong. And Martin Luther had a very tender conscience. He knew loads of things he'd done wrong. And he filled the walls with incredibly small writing. And, then, and what Martin Luther did was to say to him, yeah, 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 you forgot this. And that. And that. And then he said, but the thing is, you're a great doctor in the sense that you can tell me what's wrong. But you can fix it. But my Lord Jesus... He has fixed it. And all of that is washed in his blood. It is gone. I am not perfect. If you went to a place I've worked and asked, I'm sure they'd find a few things that they'd want me to improve. That's the very least of it. But they know I'm not perfect. On the other hand, most people who I've worked with recognize that I get better and I accept when I'm wrong. Christians do. A lot of other people, it's a bold front. We never admit anything. But if we actually confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does that because he knew when he called you that you are going to blow it again. Just think about the Apostle Peter. You know? Blows it. Restored. Blows it again. Restored. He's the guy that does the big speech and 3,000 people are converted in, in Jerusalem. And then we read about the fact that at one point Paul had to go and sort him out because he kind of drifted off again. The Apostle Peter blew it more times than they recorded. But the ones that I recorded are to encourage us to do what he did, which is to repent and turn back to the Lord and to trust him. I am an unworthy servant. So are you. The good news is we serve a worthy master. Don't fear them. Don't fear what they can do. But God is the judge. Look, this is what the, 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 the psalm says. It says, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The one righteous deed that Jesus requires from you is to believe in him and accept him as Lord. That's what he says. Righteousness is not about me making it up for the things I've done wrong to God. I can never do it. It is about resting on Jesus. But it is amazing to think that David understood the Lord loves righteousness and the upright will behold his face. He's not the first person in the Bible to say that. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And in the book of Job, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I will see him face to face. How does Job know that? 
Well, obviously the Lord's revealed it to him. And yet, he did not have what we have. He didn't know that the Lord Jesus came. He didn't know that the Lord Jesus walked this earth and had a perfect life and did all those amazing miracles and, and transformed people's understanding. He didn't know that he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a tree and to die to take away my sin and yours. He didn't know that he was raised from the dead. And he didn't know that he promised he will come back again. But we know that. So even more than David at this time, we can say, in the Lord, I take refuge. And when somebody, maybe we to ourselves, say, this, we should fear, we do not need to continue to do it. We can face off and we can say, no, how can you say that? The Lord is in his holy temple. Jesus is in the same place, interceding on my behalf. Jesus, who's been through the same things we have and without sin, is there interceding right now for me. He has sent his Holy Spirit into my life as a seal. Why should I be worried? Because the human part of my brain that wants to understand everything, even though I should know by now I can't, tries to make sense of things and takes those shadows and forms them into things that I'm scared of. But when you shine the light, many of them are not there, and the ones that are come from a defeated enemy that Jesus defeated on the cross. The Lord is righteous. The Lord has sent Jesus. He will return. We will see him face to face. The Lord is my refuge. He is my rock. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Stand on the rock. Look to the Lord. He will bring you to himself in glory. David wrote a brilliant poem. I've done it some justice, I hope. But we're going to sing a song in a second which talks about the way that that works. Because Jesus says in John's Gospel, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And this last song we're going to sing says, can you bring it up on screen? That he will hold me fast. Just before we sing it, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing that song together. Lord, we thank you that we have heard the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have sent Jesus. We thank you for the amazing way in which David was able, through his experience of you and through what you revealed to him even before Jesus, he's able to say why we should trust in you and recognize your care for each and every one of us. And Lord, we want to be those who stand firm on the gospel. We want to stand firm on Christ. And we want, Lord, to put our, our, our roots down deep so that we weather any storm and we're there, we're fruitful, we're giving glory to you, and that we're not afraid Lord, forgive us when we have allowed ourselves to look around in fear. But thank you, Lord, that you, like you did with the disciples, still calm the storm. You still bring us back to our senses. And Lord, so often we just look upon you in awe. 
And Lord, we thank you that we celebrate, as we did today, the Lord's Supper, to remind us of your death until you come. Amen. that you are our fortress, our rock. We thank you that you are enthroned in heaven on an unshakable throne and that you are in control of this world 
and Lord, that you will bring it to an end at the time that you decide. And in the meantime, we can fully trust that you know and that you've got us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the future and the hope that we have in Christ. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.